tuning in to our podcast, Salt and Light, where we'll cover foundational principles for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Enjoy this episode with ears to hear and hearts that listen. So let's go check the facts with your host, also known as my dad, Casey Harrison. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Salt and Light Assembly. This is a ministry that focuses on relationships firm and grounded in the root of God's Word. One of the most misunderstood concepts uh, in our relationship with Jesus is this idea of prosperity. Tithe, offering, first fruit, alms, who's teaching about it right, who's teaching about it wrong, how do we know what God's prosperity is? Today's episode is defining prosperity. Tithe, offerings, first fruit, alms. What do all of these words have in common? They all describe the process to prosperity of the Bible. The question that most people don't know how to answer is, what is prosperity? Mainly because most people don't know that what is prosperity is the wrong question. The right question is, what is God's definition of prosperity? The topic of prosperity has been in the Christian faith for generations, and it's been taught wrong. There's two different views on prosperity in the Christian community. One side says that Jesus teaches poverty and charity, meaning no worldly possessions, while the other side says Jesus teaches prosperity in all things, meaning you can have heaven on earth today. All the monetary possessions that you could ever want, all you have to do is ask Now, obviously, both of these views are the extremist of both sides of the argument in a similar fashion that most political parties have extreme views as well. This series is here to investigate the biblical politics of prosperity, and we're going to learn how God says that neither of the options I just talked about are true. And I know that some of you don't even know what I'm talking about when I say poverty doctrine or prosperity doctrine. So let's give some background as to the two main beliefs that are out there. The doctrine of absolute poverty. The doctrine of absolute poverty of Christ was a teaching that was associated with the Franciscan order of friars, particularly prominent between 1210 and 1323. And the key to this doctrine of absolute poverty was that Christ and the apostles had no property, whether individually or shared. And since we're supposed to be more like Christ, and so we further our relationship with Jesus, we're not supposed to have these monetary possessions. The teachers that teach this poverty doctrine try to use Matthew 19.21 and Luke 18.22 as their scriptural proof. At least this is a couple of the verses. Let's take a look at them real quick. Matthew 19.21 Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. Luke 18.22 says, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasures in heaven, and then come and follow me. And then there's another scripture in in Matthew 8.20. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now remember, these are just a couple of the verses they try to use to biblically define their poverty doctrine. 
So as Christians and to be Christ-like, we're not supposed to have any monetary possessions. We're supposed to give it all away to charity. Because Jesus didn't have any monetary possessions. That's the poverty doctrine. Now to the prosperity doctrine. Where did this doctrine come from? Well, the prosperity theology, sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel, health and wealth gospel, the gospel of success, seed faith, word of faith. This is a religious belief where some Christians believe that financial blessings and physical well-being are always the will of God. And that if you have enough faith and positive speech and you give enough to your uh, religious organization, that God's going to increase your material wealth. Now, how this prosperity theology came into being here in the United States, and some commentators have linked the origins of this theology to the New Thought Movement or to the, uh, the New Age type movement that began back in the 19th century. In fact, it was in the 1980s that the teaching of this prosperity doctrine really started to gain popularity. So let's break down the prosperity doctrine. People on this side of the camp believe that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He owns everything. And as believers, we're adopted into the family. So as adopted children, we gain the inheritance of God. And since Jesus owns everything, then we have access to everything. All we have to do is ask and be obedient when we ask for it. Now, some of the scriptures that this prosperity doctrine tries to use to back up their theology is Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also reaps. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become the curse, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And another one is James 4 2. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now, again, these are just a few of the scriptures that prosperity preachers try to use to back up their theology. To borrow a phrase from Pastor Michael Todd, I'm going to be hot, humble, open, and transparent. I was raised in the prosperity theology. I was raised to believe that all you have to do is ask and be obedient, and you can have wealth today. So when I started my own path of relationship with Jesus, it was really difficult for me to dig out a lot of these concepts and just go by what Jesus said in the entirety of his scripture. Poverty doctrine, prosperity doctrine. They both have scriptures to back them up. So which one's right? The answer, neither. That's right. Neither are accurate, nor are they true. So how can both be false? Or what I like to call it, how can they both be fake truths? The world has fake news. The church has fake truths. Let me explain how both of these are fakes. Poverty doctrine, prosperity doctrine. They both have grains of truth wrapped inside of them. But as I've said in many different messages, a grain of truth is not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The examples I gave you of the scripture previously backing up both of these doctrines are prime examples of scriptures being used out of context. Creating a space where God is a liar. 
God's not a liar. God is a God of truth, not lies. And as we all know, the truth can hurt sometimes. But in order for me to explain how these scriptures have been taken out of context, I need to ask you one question first. At the start of this episode, or before you even clicked onto it, you saw the word prosperity, or you heard me say the word prosperity. So what was the first thing you thought of when you heard that word prosperity? If most people are honest, the first thing they thought about was the first thing I thought about. Money. When in all actuality, money has very little to do with the prosperity of the Bible. With God's prosperity. That's why both of these doctrines are fake truths. Because they come from a perspective of prosperity being mainly financial. Let me clarify it even more. As you've heard me say in the past, the Bible was written to the Jewish people, right? We as believers of Jesus Christ have access to the Bible, but the Bible wasn't written to us. It was written for us. To use for edification and correction and to guide us into the understanding of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now here's another question for you. We in America have access to the Bible. There's many different cultures and many different ethnic groups all around this world that have access to the Bible too, right? So my question is, does every ethnic group center or consider money to be the center of quote-unquote prosperity? I would offer the answer of no. Many different nations and many different ethnic groups around this world don't have access to monetary wealth. Not in the same way that we do over here in America. If you go to Africa, some people don't even have access to good, clean running water or food. Do you really think that money is more important than survival to them? Do you really think that money is the center of what they consider prosperity? Or would it be survival? Since God is a God of justice and God is a God of truth, then what's true for one of God's people has to be true for all of God's people. Basically, if God makes it available to one, he makes it available to all. And I know that's a very bold statement to make, but let me give you some scripture to back this up. Luke 2.10. This is when the angel appeared to the shepherds in the field announcing the birth of Jesus Christ. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. John 3.16. Now this is where John is describing God's love for all of humanity and the willingness of Jesus to suffer for all of humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. John 12, 46. This is the words of Jesus himself. I've come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Do you see a common theme here? All people, whosoever believes, not only if my chosen people, the Jewish people, believe. Whosoever is any and every person. It's all-inclusive. You, me, the Jew, the Muslim, the prostitute down the street on the corner, the hypocritical church member, whosoever. 
Salvation is a great example of one of the truths of God being made available to all. And prosperity is no exception. Prosperity is available to all people. But only by God's definition of prosperity. Not yours. Not my original definition of prosperity. Not even Kenneth Copeland's definition of prosperity. It's the Western culture that has labeled money as the center of prosperity, not God. Now, I know I just offended some people, and to that I say good. Offense breeds examination, or offense breeds bitterness. Either way, offense breeds a choice, and it's a choice you've got to make. So if the prosperity of the Bible is not centered around money, then what is prosperity centered around? Well, if you really search scripture, God does define prosperity in his word. First, there's five variations of the word prosperity in the Bible. But these five variations combined show up 89 times. Prosperous, prosper, prospered, prospereth, prosperously. Prosperous only shows up eight times in the Bible. Prosper is used 49 times. Prospered is used 13 times. Prospereth. 17 times, and prosperously twice. All of these variations mean almost the exact same thing. The only difference is the way that they're used. Verb, adjective, noun, past, present, future, all these kinds of things. And the root word for all of these is the Greek word, uideo, which means to grant a successful issue or to be successful. In the Hebrew, the word for prosper is saleach, which means to advance, to make progress, to succeed. Do you see the similarities in these words? The common denominator is success. So now that we know what the word prosper actually means in its original definition, it's safe to assume that God's definition of prosperity is success. To prosper is to be successful. Now we have to answer one more question. What's God's definition of success? Because we really need to break this prosperity thing down to its basic elementary stages. That way we can build that foundational relationship with Jesus. Well, in the English language, success means favorable or desired outcome. In the Hebrew language, the word for success is sahal, which means victory or triumph. I'm pretty sure that if you're going to have victory or if you're going to triumph in a situation then you have to have a favorable or desired outcome. So let's take that and see how God defines success. What is a favorable and desired outcome according to God? That can be found in 1 Kings 2, verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commands and His judgments and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do, in whatever way you turn. Now that scripture is really packed full, so let's examine that scripture a little bit more, okay? This is the words of King David on his deathbed, speaking to his son Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel. King David was giving his son advice on how to live a prosperous life. So keeping that context in mind, let's look at the scripture a little bit more closely to find God's definition of success. It says, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Well, what is the charge that King David is talking about here? 
The answer comes quickly in the very next lines. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commands and his judgments and his testimonies as it's written in the law of Moses. His ways, his statutes, his commands, his judgments, his testimonies. What is God's ways? Well, the Hebrew word here is dera, meaning path, journey, direction. So walk in the direction or the path God leads you down. What is God's statutes? In Hebrew, it's hayakar, which means ordinance, limit, something prescribed. Basically, walk within the limits that God sets for you. What is God's commands? In Hebrew, it's mitzvah, the commandment of God. And the commandment that God gave to man would be the law, the Ten Commandments, the Torah. That's the Bible. And the Bible's for all believers of today. Then you have God's judgments. In Hebrew, it's mispah, which is the act of deciding a case, procedure, process, legislation before judges. And God's testimonies in the Hebrew is aduth, which it means a witness, testimony, or evidence of things, eyewitness accounts of people. And I'll come back to that another day in a more in-depth study on the scriptures later. That is a series all in and of itself. Basically, King David is telling his son, if you want to be prosperous according to God's definition of prosperity, these are some of the characteristics of God that you have to follow. These are the ones that are going to lead you into a God-prosperity life. God's definition of prosperity is success. So follow these characteristics and choose to become more like Him. Take on His characteristics if you want to be successful with God. The problem is these characteristics are not something that we can achieve on our own. I believe that's why God had Moses write the law in a very specific way. To show all of us that we would fall short. To show us that if we're going to prosper in any shape, form, or fashion, we need His help. The great news is you can achieve God's prosperity, God's success. And the process is going to happen in four different areas over time. And it's going to happen in a specific order. Spirit, mind, soul, and body. To reach God prosperity means to become more like Christ in those four areas of your life. And you'll know when you're on the right track because God gave us a list of ways we can see His prosperity happening in our lives. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those. In fact, I think Jesus said it best, for I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. The actions of Jesus fulfilling the law gave Him the right to condense the law into a really easy-to-understand form. Check out Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. What it boils down to is God's success, God's prosperity is based on us walking out the law and becoming more like Christ. And to make it easy on us, Jesus combined all of the law into two commandments there in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. If you follow those two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, 
it will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The physical proof of God's definition of prosperity. So let's sum up this whole defining prosperity thing. Prosperity equals success. And success that it will be attainable for everyone who seeks it. It'll be attainable in your spirit, your mind, your soul, and your body. Physical wealth is not prosperity. Physical wealth is not success. No amount of money can make you successful because money is only meant to be a tool and tools don't make you successful. It's the use of the tool that makes you successful or the use of the tool that can hinder you or damage you and prevent you from being successful. Have you ever smashed your finger with a hammer? It wasn't the hammer that smashed your finger. It was the way you used that hammer. Hammers can either build something up or tear it down. Your perspective of prosperity is the same way. It can either be a tool to build something up or to tear it down. Using prosperity by God's definition, that's the tool that will build up to a closer relationship with Him. But misunderstanding God's prosperity and misusing prosperity will pull you away from a closer relationship with Him. And we've seen that firsthand in a lot of different churches. The church divides over many different topics, and this is just one of them, because they're misusing God's prosperity. So for the next few weeks, we're going to examine where God prospers us in the order in which God prospers us. Spirit, mind, soul, and body. And in that conversation, we're also going to learn how the tithe, the offering, the first fruit, and the alms are used by God in order to help us to achieve that success in all of the areas in our life. But in order for us to understand how tithe, offering, first fruit, and alms can affect our spirit, our mind, our soul, and our body, we have to understand what the tithe, offering, first fruit, and alms are. So be sure to return back next week as we actually dive into the truth of Scripture, what the tithe actually is, what it is and what it ain't. And until next week, be bold, be strong, and be blessed.